Welcome to the Geneva Center for Security Policy Podcast. I'm Ashley Mueller. This week's episode explores some of the latest global issues affecting peace, security, and international cooperation. As the world navigates the coronavirus pandemic, we speak with two founding members of the Institute for Strategic Risk Management, Dr. Hoda Alkazaimi and Mr. Kev Breer, on what a crisis in year 2030 could look like. And are we ready for it? We will discuss having a 360-degree approach to crisis response as well as explore different international standards on risk and crisis management. Welcome, Dr. Hoda Alkazaimi. Thank you for joining us here today with the GCSP. You are the director of the Center of Cybersecurity at New York University Abu Dhabi, and you are also president of Emirates Digital Association for Women. My first question to you is, what does it mean to be the director of the Center for Cybersecurity? What, what does a day in the life look like? I took the directorship position, I think, four years ago. And prior to this, I worked in multiple R&Ds uh, in UAE, Europe, uh, Asia. And I came into this kind of formulation that we really need to bring in a different model of where we build uh, research and development. The Center for Cybersecurity in New York University, Abu Dhabi, is an interdisciplinary center of research that addresses issues of cybersecurity, but in a different way. We don't want to think that cybersecurity is a technological problem or a technological issue that should be addressed by computer scientists or engineers or uh, people who would have a technical capacity and a specific scientific discipline. But we wanted a, a holistic approach to the problem. So we brought in uh, the law practitioners, we brought in the, uh, you know, the social scientists and the economists into the equation to make sure that we do have this kind of uh, 360 approach to the problem. Right, yes. And at the same time, make sure that we, on the long run, addresses the issue of making sure that cybersecurity is an issue to be included in the DNA of building uh, a solution. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, you're also the president of the Emirates Digital Association for Women. Yeah. What does that look? Are there crossovers for, for your job as a director or are they separate? What does that look like? There are some crossovers. The Emirates Digital Association for Women is the hard work for an amazing eight ladies who established this foundation around uh, five to six years ago in UAE. Uh, the foundation is acknowledged as a non-for-profit association under the Ministry of Social Development in UAE, which a great which is a great success for us. Um, we get uh, partial funding from there, but we get also uh, funding from all of the uh, bodies in UAE to address building opportunities for the community. We did not want to say that we just build uh, opportunities for women because women is always about a community and our members our member body uh, wants always to address the community, address every kind of entrepreneurial needs uh, that we could build uh, for women or also research needs uh, that we could build for women as well. We started the foundation because we noticed that there are global statistics that says women are underrepresented in the fields of STEM. And that's not the case in UAE. So we wanted our statistics that represents the Arab world or represents at least UAE to come out of our kind of community because we have been the actual experiment and we are the, uh, the probability within the experiment. So that's what motivated us to start. And what keeps us going is a mission to make sure that there are opportunities that exist and silos are broken for children, for women and for men 
uh, in different fields and providing competitive opportunities for all of them to learn and grow. My next question is, why have you decided to join in on the Global Advisory Council or, or the board uh, of the Institute for Strategic Risk Management? Is there, again, the crossover between cybersecurity, between digital, between community support, um, breaking down silos, all of those things, the 360 perspective? The main reason I joined uh, ISRM is the fact that we are, again, building a community and community that's based on holistic approach of addressing a problem and not based on specific perspective. Cyber is very dear to my heart, but it's a very dynamic and fragile kind of a discipline. Fragile because of the basis of risk that exists. The risks are too high and addressing them is too expensive. We deal with attacks that can happen in a matter of seconds and standards that are built to address these attacks in a matter of three years. So we have a lack, uh, a lag there in terms of providing solutions at some times. So breaking silos to me is something that proved uh, on and on throughout, uh, you know, different experiments and different projects as a, an effective mean of building a solution, building a solution faster and delivering, you know, effective results faster. So I think ISRM is, is a platform that would, on the long run, build a holistic approach to addressing global risks, not only cyber risks. And that's why we're here. So the, the current standards that exist for, for cybersecurity at the moment, I mean, uh, what would that look like? Based on an attack, three years down the road, it gets sorted out. How does that? We do have uh, information security standards, true. We do have FIPS standards around different technologies. We do have an abundance of standards around security elements that you're building in your organization. However, they're not accurate enough on addressing dynamic attacks. The 360 approach again for cybersecurity is very difficult to put. For example, I'll give you an example. What we start with in cybersecurity is actually building a threat model. This threat model will address your vulnerabilities, would address your attacks, and from these vulnerabilities and attack, you will build a risk map. And this risk map will tell you about the impact that you would have on certain organizations. And from these impacts, you would build your contingencies, affordable contingencies that you can have within this business. Can you imagine what is the case if you build, for example, autonomous technology that is addressed to the mass, but this autonomous technology that is being addressed to be used by the mass did not consider cybersecurity from the get-go? So this model is collapsing. We have something and at the moment that autonomous car, for example. Do we have a, a risk management standard for autonomous cars? No, we don't. It's a technology that's being pushed into the market and we don't have that in mind as well. Blockchains that will be used for, for example, contracts uh, signing and for other many other issues at the moment, they're being considered on smart cities. And smart cities is means accessibility to the infrastructure. Do we have a risk management kind of a standard that would address the use of these kind of uh, emerging technologies in the fields? We don't. Mm -hmm. So we really need to have an agile mechanism or a platform in building these policies and standards. If technology is leaping, you know, 300 miles an hour into the future, standards and policy needs to be leaping 300 miles in the future. And people who are building these standards need to be as well the scientists, the technologists, the mathematician, and the policy maker together so we could have this kind of holistic 360 view of it. Thank you, Dr. Al-Khazaimi. Mr. Kev Breer, welcome to the GCSP and thank you for joining us for this interview. 
You hold many qualifications, and you are also a founding member of Institute for Strategic Risk Management, as well as a consulting partner for the Global Cyber Resilience WIPRO, Project Lead ISO 22361, an international standard on crisis management. My first question to you is... It's a lot of numbers. How do you keep it all straight? (laughs) (laughs) I have it written down. (laughs) How many working groups are there? So 292, we are the ninth working group. uh, And it starts at working group one, which is terminology. And then there's there's a working group two, which looks after um, business continuity and organization resilience. Uh, Working group three is emergency management. Uh, working group four eludes me at this precise moment and then working working group five is about urban resilience and then uh, one is around security uh, for um, for products so in terms if you are making a an expensive perfume or something like that it needs uh, it needs some anti-counterfeiting markers on it and so they produce the standards uh, around that sort of thing and then we just go through as i say to to working group nine and what is your working group on iso 22361 hoping to achieve the uk um, produced a business continuity standard called 25999 um, in 2006 whilst they were doing that work there was debate in the committee around incident and crisis and which term should be used. And the decision was made in that British standard that um, they would go with the term incident and they'd put a sort of a footnote that some organisations may refer to the term crisis. And that's how that, that sort of debate was resolved. However, after that debate, it was felt that um, there was a lot of information that was relevant to crisis management that could have gone into that 2599. And so the the decision was made to produce a publicly available specification, which was called PAS 200. Um, And then that was published in 2011. And that was sponsored by the UK government, the the Cabinet Office, who are responsible for managing crises at government level. And that was well received by industry, but it was very, very focused on national emergencies, blue light type responses. industry felt that it wasn't quite right for industrial needs and so the decision was made to to revisit that document and um, they they produced that doc, a, a revised document which was called BS 11200 uh, on crisis management a good practice and guidelines and uh, that was published in 2014 and that was very well received mm-hmm. and industry liked that document and um, feedback has been very positive on that document. However, uh, it was also noted that there wasn't much going on at the European level in crisis management. The European Commission wanted to see standards on uh, crisis management and they produced Mandate 487 from the Commission asking for countries to produce uh, documentation. And in support of that mandate, we then took that British standard into the European arena and then we... um, improved it, mm-hmm. and that became uh, CEN TS17091. And that was published in um, November of last year. Again, well received. However, um, people then said, well, this is just the European view of the world. What about the rest of the world? Great. Yes. And so the decision was made, okay, we'll elevate this to ISO. Yes. 
or take this to ISO. We reintroduced the, the, the new work item proposal to them. The, the vote was had and it was successful. And then um, ISO appointed me as the convener of the work group and the project team leader. And so work actually commenced in October. We had our first face-to-face -face meeting in Brussels, which was very well attended. Some great discussions mm -hmm. and some good output. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the program to, to produce this standard, it's envisaged. Right, so what's an example uh, of what this ISO standard will, um, I guess, support or, or yes. be in place for? So it's meant to be applicable to, to all organizations, whether they're, say, a small to medium enterprise business, all the way through to big governments. The actual principles, the tenets, are transferable. And, yes. and the, the, the things that one has to think about are transferable. It's just, comes a sort of scale that becomes the issue. So in terms of the in terms of the challenges, we're looking at the sort of things that, that would possibly be, be of an existential nature to an organization, something that the organization, because the impact of what happened, Mm -hmm. Actually, its very existence is drawn into, into doubt. Or it could be a, a reputational matter, and there's, there's a potential for, for serious reputational damage, and, and one okay. wants to protect, protect um, share value. And is, there is, um, there, there's a research that came out from Oxford University three years ago yes. that showed that after uh, a crisis struck an organisation, the share value would, would tumble, and then once the crisis management process kicked in, normally, there are a couple of outliers, the share price would, would stabilise. And then, depending on how well the organisation was perceived to be managing the crisis, the share value would recover in line with how that, how that recovery process was perceived. And, and, but normally, that worked. However, they also looked at those organisations that did nothing. Mm. And they found that with those organisations that did nothing, the share value continue to plummet. So actually, yeah. these sort of things have a, a financial value and, and have a, an importance to, to protect organisations. And so we're going to be talking things like perhaps like the, the not petcha virus, yeah. something of that scale. For, Some, for, an, for an example, yes. Something that, that an organisation would possibly not have normally planned for it in its normal yes. contingency planning. Yes. And then it comes along and it sort of generates those the strategic level challenges mm -hmm. that they really have to sort of have that agile, adaptable, flexible type approach. So for the, the ISO standard, um, it will take at least maybe two years to decide, right? And then what would be the rollout process for so, a normal ISO standard, or is this not a normal so, one? So yeah. <laughs> Please don't laugh, but this is the accelerated process. Fascinating. That's good for us to know. I mean, yeah. so, so normally... Crisis response team should be respond. <laughs> A bull. <laughs> so they, because we're building on a good foundation from the European document, they, they've given us the accelerated timetable of two years, and I've been told that's an ambitious, an ambitious timetable. Okay. Um, normally, these, these standards take about three to four years mm -hmm. for them actually to get published, which, which one, one thinks about it for something as important as this. That's quite a long time, really. So, so when we put the proposal in, we asked for the accelerated timetable because we think the world's at a point now where where that sort of guidance would be welcome mm -hmm. i think so in terms of in terms of the the take up and the usage certainly for for bs11200 it was one of the best selling standards in in the bsis portfolio
So the actual take up from it was, was very, very good, uh, which was pleasing to see because it meant that organisations were, were taking it on board and the actual industry feedback to get that industry feedback that, that we received went into to 17091, the European iteration. And again, we're getting feedback from, from that 17091 piece and from 11200, and that'll go into the ISO thing. The whole process is about constant improvement. It has to be fit for purpose and do yes. the job. For someone who's not well-versed in crisis or ISO, um, for example, I think of international law or international humanitarian law. How do you guarantee that a state or a company um, abides by a certain international standard? Are there consequences if one does not respond or is there more guidelines or encourage people, empower them to respond? Most organizations do not have to follow ISO standards. Mm -hmm. However, in Europe, the European Union has said that where there's a SEN standard applicable, or an ISO SEN standard that's relevant, then that should be referred to. So actually within the European arena, these standards do actually have the weight of law behind them, whereas across the rest of the globe, they're sort of more voluntary. Uh, and the one thing that, that one may see, if, if an organization is subject to a civil action, litigation if they can then say well we followed the international standard we did everything that they suggested was sensible that can possibly assist in, in defending litigation and things like that to show that one was being reasonably diligent and following good practice and, and following accepted norms that that can all help if, if one gets into the to a problem of, of, of a civil case but generally they're, they're not sort of written into legislation as a compliance tool thank you mr breer that's all we have now for today's episode. Thank you to Dr. Hoda Alkazaimi, along with Mr. Kev Breer. Listen to us again next week to hear all of the latest insights on international peace and security. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple iTunes, follow us on Spotify and SoundCloud. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>